Our New Testament scripture again is the gospel according to Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 14, going down to verse 21. And when you have it, please stand. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to talk a little bit about someone to imitate. Someone to imitate. And I have come to grips with that just uh, more so as I am an adult than I was when I was younger. We uh, as a people, are always imitating someone. Whether or not we want to admit that we are imitating someone or not is a whole nother deal, but we all are imitating someone. Everything that we've learned, we had to learn by watching someone else. And even if we, quote unquote, didn't watch somebody else, we weren't the first person to do it. We weren't the first person to think it. We weren't the first person to actually attempt this. I've read somewhere they said that the average human actually only has two original thoughts in their entire lifetime. That means everything else they've ever thought, someone else thought before them. They may not ever meet that person, and they may not ever know that that person actually thought that before, but somebody else has thought that. And we can go to the Bible If we don't want the psychological definition, the Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun. I am definitely familiar with this as I have uh, become a parent and watched my children think and attempt to do the same things that I thought and attempt to do. And so I understand now why when I was growing up, I could get a phone call at a particular time and my mother just knew I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do is because they know me. Uh, I'm an imitation of them. And so uh, we imitate those people and and, uh, we we call them role models. Uh, When I was growing up, everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. Everybody tried to have a jump shot with their tongue wagging out. Everybody wanted to imitate and we, we pick the people that we imitate. I can think about every career decision that I've made, I've made because I was influenced by a particular role model. A very close friend of my mom's by the name of Aubrey Chatters was an electrical engineer and he took me to a company called Micro Switch and there I saw people testing circuit boards and 
working on equipment until it broke. And I knew right then after watching that this is what he did for a living. That is what I wanted to do for a living. And then I grew up and I was at Light of the World Christian Church and there were people like a minister, Sean Weaver and a Dr. Preston Adams, and they were active in the church and I imitated them because I wanted to be active in the church as well. And so I look at it now and I understand that we imitate people. Now I say all that to say that because we imitate people, we ought to have someone to imitate. Uh, We call ourselves Christians. That means we are people who follow Christ. And so if there is someone that we can imitate, not that it was bad to imitate those people. I'm not saying they are bad at all. I grew up around them. They influenced my life greatly. But along with imitating all of those people, I ought to be able to imitate Jesus Christ. Amen? We have to follow Jesus, follow the way. And how else do we follow the way? How else do we imitate someone unless we look at what they did and start doing some of that on our own as well? Amen. And so I looked at this passage and I saw that it was in hearing. And this Jesus gave us quite a few things to imitate in this passage. First one being uh, in the very first verse that was read in your hearing, it said uh, Jesus returned in verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Say that again. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, I started, I'm reading in, I'm starting in verse 4, right around verse 14, but there are some things that have happened before. Jesus has been born, a couple of his family members have met, and then he was tempted in the wilderness. And then he comes out of the wilderness after being tempted, and the spirit ministered to him. The angels ministered to that he was ministered to, and so he was operating under the power of the spirit. And the power of the spirit is prevalent all throughout the gospel, according to Luke, because it's the same spirit that was with Zechariah in 115 and uh, Luke 115, rather than 67 through 69. When the spirit came over him and the angel told him he was going to have a child. The, the spirit was with Elizabeth later on in about 141 where Mary and Elizabeth met each other and they were introducing their cousins to the, these boys to each other that were going to be cousins while they were still in the womb. These boys that were going to be cousins were Jesus and John and uh, they, the spirit overcame them when they met The spirit came when it saw Simeon later on in chapter 2 when he was told that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And then in John, in 3.16, when John, uh, John, not not John 3.16, but John in Luke 3.16, when he was baptizing the people and he said that I'm baptizing you with water. But the one that's coming behind me, I'm not fit to tie his shoestrings. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the spirit guiding them. Jesus was led by the spirit, the same spirit that was there for his baptism when he was there and it descended upon him like a dove and God opened the skies and said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. That was the spirit. That same spirit helped him defeat the temptation in the wilderness. That's the spirit. That same spirit guided him to Galilee. And that same spirit is what they're talking about when Jesus opened up the scroll in the synagogue and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
The Spirit indicated the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Spirit was there, and the Spirit will be there in the book of Acts, which comes later on, where it's a fresh wind and people had tongues of fire. On the day of Pentecost, that same Spirit is going on. What I'm trying to say here is if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, so the Holy Spirit is not going to go anywhere you don't let him. You have to invite the spirit in. And I would argue some of the times we don't invite the spirit in is because we won't, don't want the spirit to know what we're doing. <laughs> I spent half of yesterday in a sexual ethics training. It's a mandatory training that those of us who are leaders in the United Methodist Church, primarily pastors, have to take every four years. Uh, and we're all procrastinators, so it was probably about 300 of us sitting at this cu- at uh, First Methodist West Chase because that was the very last training that was available for the year in order to keep us in compliance. I'm just saying. Uh, so we're all there, and one of those things that they talked about at said test, uh, at said uh, sexual ethics training, is when they talk about what you do in certain tests that it has to pass. And the very first test that it has to pass is what they call the bullhorn test. And the bullhorn test means is what you doing okay to be blasted over a bullhorn? If you're doing something and it's not okay to be public, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. And so we have to invite the spirit in. Is the spirit okay with what we're doing? Is the Holy Spirit okay with who we're talking to, how we're talking to people, what we do when nobody else is looking? We have to be led by the Spirit. And I would argue that is probably why a lot of us won't invite the Spirit in, because we don't necessarily want the Spirit to know what we're doing. God still knows what we're doing, but you, if you have to be able to be public about it. We must invite the Spirit in everything that we do. The Bible says in John 14, 15 through 8, it says, If you love me, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, so if you got a King James Bible, it's probably going to be in red. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another what? Helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither he sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you and I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. The spirit is in you. You want to be like Jesus, invite the spirit in. I'm just telling you right now, the spirit is there. Ah, the Bible goes on, he goes on further down in 14, 26 and says, but the helper... Just in case you were curious about who the helper was. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You need that spirit there. You need the Holy Spirit to be with you when you go to your job. You need the Holy Spirit to be with you when you go to, when you go to school. You need the Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go because you never know when you might be tested. The Holy Spirit is there to keep you from saying something that might, you can't take back. Uh, as my wife says, you cannot unhurt feelings. So you allow this Holy Spirit to guide your decisions, 
guide how you talk to people, guide how you deal with people so that you don't end up doing something that you can't take back. It goes on in Romans 5, 1 and 5. It says, therefore, being justified with faith, we have a peace through our God, through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access to faith by, into this grace, which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given with us. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit with us before we do certain things and how we make it, the Holy Spirit is with us in times of trouble. There's those times where we, can't, we don't know where to, where to turn or what to do and all we can say is, help me Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is there for that. And the Bible also says in Romans 8, 26 through 27, says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we don't know what to say, when it's time to talk to God, if we don't know how to pray, we'll let the Holy Spirit intercede for us. So if we want to be like Jesus... If we want to imitate Jesus, we have to have the Spirit in us. Amen? The Spirit is important. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we need to develop a relationship with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Let it guide us, ask us, let, let it lead us, let it tell us what to say, let it tell us what to do. In all things. It's not something we just deal with on Sunday. It's more than something that makes us shout and dance and clap our hands. It's there to guide us throughout our entire lives. The Spirit. And so Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit from to Galilee. And that's what we did. And then it goes on to say that he went throughout the region and the, uh, the surrounding region and he taught in the synagogues being glorified with all. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue. They say the third time's a charm. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue. So not only was Jesus having a relationship and working in the power of the Holy Spirit, but he went to church on a regular basis. I'm not making it up. It said it was his custom. A custom is something you do on a regular basis. It's something that's within you, almost a ritual. You do it over and over again. And as was his custom, he went to church. So if Jesus can go to church on a regular basis and we call ourselves Christians and we're trying to be like him, why can't we? Why can't we? 
I find it interesting when I talk to people and they say that they're spiritual but not religious and they use that as a, as a, as a, a coverall to say that they believe in God but don't necessarily go to church. Now, there's a whole nother issue about that that probably could be uncovered. And somewhere down there, if you dug deep into it, there's some church hurt there. But I find it interesting that being Christian is the only thing that people can say that they do, but not actually gather around and think that's okay. I can't say I'm a teacher if I don't go to class and teach on a regular basis. I can't say I'm a student if I don't go to class and get an education on a regular basis. I can't say I'm an athlete if I don't play a sport. I most certainly can't say I'm a professional athlete if I don't meet with the team on a regular basis. There are so many different things. I can't say I'm an engineer if I don't work with engineering work. I can't say there's all of these things that I can't say I am unless I gather around on a regular basis and do the work. But some reason when we get to church, I don't need to go to church. I can read the Bible for myself. You can read the Bible for yourself. And I'm not saying that to say that pastors know everything. By all means, there are some people that don't deserve to be in the pulpit. But the Bible also tells us to gather together on a regular basis. You don't believe me? Go to the 133rd Psalm. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, even running down the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon. It is sitting on the mountains of Zion for the Lord commanded the blessing evermore. Written by David, whose own children didn't get together like they were supposed to. But there's still that bond. There's still that togetherness. And if, if, if Psalms isn't good enough for you, we can flip over to the New Testament and go to Hebrews 10. 23 through 25, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblance of ourselves, not forsaking the assemblance of ourselves, not forsaking the assemblance of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So much more is done and you see the day approaching. We ought to gather together on some sort of regular basis. If we're going to be like Jesus, if you don't want to be like Jesus, okay, cool. Do you, but this is what Jesus did as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on a regular basis. So if we want to imitate Christ, we have to do a lot of things, but this is just some of it. We need to be guided by the spirit. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and we need to spend some time together in church. And so he is in church as was his custom. And he reads 
the scriptures. And he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, combined with Isaiah 58, 6. That's where that comes from, where he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And yet, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's reading the text. And I like that it says he was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And one theologian says that this account is the oldest known report of the order of worship in a synagogue service. The service included a reading from the law and one from the prophets. And Jesus, or the ruler of the synagogue, may have chosen the text. But when they did it, it was customary for you to stand for the reading of Scripture and to sit for the sermon. It was customary to stand for the reading as a mark of respect for God's Word. And that was something that came from that. It's not something we make up. It's not something any particular denomination has a, has a lock on it. It's been going on for a very long time. You read the scripture, you stand out of respect for the word. Not out of peer pressure, not out of somebody badgering you to do it. It's out of respect for the word. And if Jesus could stand up to read the word, again, who are we if we say that we're supposed to be like Jesus? And what he said in the picture, in the, in the passage of scripture that was chosen, is, is, is prevalent to us. Because Jesus' ministry, and ours likewise, is that we should be concerned about helping people. Helping them spiritually, socially, politically, economically. We ought to be impacting the lives of our communities. They say that the, imp- the, the, the litmus test for the church is if the church were to close down today, would the community realize it was gone? Do people walk by this building and say, I don't know if it's open or not? I didn't know it was a church. I thought this was a boutique store. I thought this was a coffee shop. Those seem like prevalent examples, but those are actual things that have happened. Uh, My wife took a class, Church in the Social Context, I believe, and they were instructed when they had class around Galveston to go drive around and look at the churches and see what they thought about the churches when they drove by. And ironically, Latia was assigned to this area. And drove and they drove by and with a car full of other seminary students, they all said, I did not know this was a church. So we ought to take some self-reflection about that and see how we go to change that. Because we ought to impact the community. That's why it says to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted and to open up sight of the blind and proclaim liberty to the captives. And set at liberty those who were oppressed. That's what we ought to be doing. And what Jesus says after reading the passage of scripture is that what you have heard is going on before you. 
everything that was prophesied about Jesus, he does. It was prophesied before he came that he was to be born of a virgin and what, what, what uh, family he was supposed to be on and the, root, the lion of the tribe of Judah and to come down that bloodline. All of that was prophesied. And he did it. He preached the gospel to the poor and he healed the brokenhearted. If you were to look at Matthew 5, 1 and 10, he tells you, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain where he was seated and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He preached to the poor. He hung around with tax collectors. That was not a glamorous job. He spoke to those of ill repute. He talked to the people that other people wouldn't hang out with. He didn't put on a nice looking suit and come in in a, in a building and four walls and tell everybody come out from among them. He went out into the community to help the people and preach to them. He hung with those that nobody else wanted to. And that is what we ought to be doing. He hung with people who didn't always say the right things, do the right thing, dress like everybody else dressed, act like everybody else acted, talk like everybody else talked. He hung out with the least, the last, and the lost, the widows and the orphans, those who couldn't take care of themselves. And that's what we ought to be doing if we want to be like Jesus. That's all, just if we want to be like Jesus. And, and then he proclaimed liberty to the captives. John 8 and 34 and 36 says, Jesus answered them. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, proclaiming liberty to the captives. You are no longer bound by those certain things. You are free in Christ. You are no longer bound to those social codes. That's why a lot of people didn't like what Jesus was doing, because they had hierarchy. They had ranking systems. And if you did this kind of job, you was on one level. And if you did another kind of job, you was on another level. But no. Jesus came and told him, hey, God is not a respecter of persons. You all, are, you all are free under Jesus. You are no longer bound to this system. You're free. And then he gave sight to the blind. Again, everything that he read in the text, he did. And so in Mark 8, 22 through 30, 26, rather, he heals a blind man outside of Bethesda. And Matthew 9, 27 through 31, he heals two blind men right, side, right around Galilee. And John 9, 1 through 7, he heals a blind man that was blind since birth. He gave sight to the blind. 
And then he set at liberty those who were oppressed. Second Corinthians 2, 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. So you don't have to be caught up in your past. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away. They're done. It's over with. You leave it in the past. So he set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is an interesting term because at the time they were talking about Jubilee. And Jubilee was a time on the calendar basically every 50 years. All of the people that were scattered abroad, the Israelites, would come home. And not only did everybody come home for this homecoming during the year of Jubilee, but those who were poor, uh, we, we as African Americans have a, a, an understanding of, of slavery, but that was not the original way that slavery was done. Uh, they didn't oppress an entire people for hundreds and hundreds of years back then. When you were enslaved, it was for a temporary time. You worked for that person to pay off a debt, and that was it. And when the debt was paid off, you were no longer a slave. And so during the year of Jubilee, uh, those who were in debt to a person weren't made slaves. And those who were already working off their debts would be made free. They were treated as hired hands during the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years, the books were wiped clean. Debts were paid off. Statuses were elevated. Everybody was put on an equal playing field. That was the acceptable year of the Lord. Debts being paid off. And we ought to know a little something about debt. We owe a huge debt. We owe a debt as people that is supposed to be paid via death, hell, and the grave. We were all born in sin. And we were born in sin and removed access from God, and that was a debt that we can't pay ourselves. But Jesus, Jesus born of a virgin, suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried to pay our debt, beaten and bruised and broken to pay our debt, lived a life of no sin so that he could take on all of our sins to pay our debt, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, was innocent, but got executed like a common criminal so that we wouldn't have to take that, carrying a cross to Golgotha, a.k.a. Calvary, a.k.a. the place of the skull, to pay our debt, wearing a crown of thorns to pay our debt, beaten and mocked and spit on to pay our debt, hung on a cross to pay our debt. And not only that, after he died, they gambled over his clothes. And then he went to hell and 
took over mm. all right. and came back yeah. with all power in his hand mm. to pay our debt yeah. and now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, because he paid our debt. And because he paid our debt, we don't have to experience again death, hell, and the grave. We have access to heaven. Because he paid our debt, they will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he paid our debt, we don't have to worry about it. And because he paid our debt, he's coming back again. That's what we believe. That's what we're trying to imitate. That's who we're trying to be like. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.